that that he would be with us this morning, that you would guide our thinking and our our actions and and my words, and that that uh, the truth would go out this morning. We just uh, pray that you would be with our time, that it would be honoring and glorifying to you. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so today we will. Uh, as usual, we'll look at a couple of articles, just a couple this week. Uh, I, I couldn't, uh, I don't know, the news was rather depressing. Uh, this, uh-oh, and one of my, ah, there we go. Uh, so, I didn't spend a lot of time on it, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> looking for articles anyway. Uh, but here is one that isn't making uh, all the headlines with all the uh, news about the nation of Israel. Uh, this is one that was kind of buried. Things that are going on in uh, the Middle East these days. This is from I-24 News. And the headline, if you can't see that, is Christians face increase in attacks by Jewish extremists in Jerusalem. Uh, Christians living in Jerusalem have come under attack several times this year, and church leaders are concerned. There has been an increase in the number of violent incidents against Christian communities in Jerusalem this year. Racist slurs in the American Quarter, a gang of religious Jewish teens throwing chairs at a Christian restaurant, violence directed at a cemetery. These are just some of the incidents which have church leaders alarmed. In January, two Jewish teenagers aged 14 and 18 entered the historic Protestant cemetery on Mount Zion and desecrated 28 gravestones. Surveillance footage caught their actions. They were identified by police and indicated indicted for vandalism. You'd think I'd know how to read that word now. Uh, carried out for racist reasons. The graveyard where influential personalities from Jerusalem's more than 100-year-old Anglican community lie buried has seen violent harassment before, but what happened in January, says David Pelegi, the rector of the Anglican Evangelical Christ Church, has a wider political background that's connected to the new right-wing government in Israel. Uh, I think it's obvious that a small minority here in Jerusalem or throughout Israel have an axe to grind against the Christian community and think that somehow we are polluting the land of Israel with our presence, he told I-24 News. Uh, so it goes on from there. So all, all things are not uh, great in, in Israel, to say the least. I, I'm not sure that... that uh, I think this is an issue that just doesn't get covered uh, all that often in Israel, but has been an ongoing uh, ongoing occurrence. Um, you can talk to people, uh, missionaries who go to Israel. They've experienced these kinds of things in the past. Uh, uh, so it's kind of disappointing, to say the least. <laughs> Uh, but doesn't change our, should not change our opinion towards God and his chosen people um, and the overall uh, 
sentiment that we should have towards God and his plan for the world. The fact of the matter is that he has chosen the nation of Israel to be his nation, and these people are not living in faith uh, at this point in time. And the Bible predicts very clearly that the nation of Israel would come back to the land, not in faith, uh, before the end times. And things are going to get worse and worse and worse for the nation of Israel. There will be a seven-year tribulation, as we've been studying in Revelation. And at the end of that seven years, they will, in fact, believe. But that's what it's going to take uh, for it to happen. Seven years of tribulation before they will believe and call on Christ to save them physically and spiritually. And until that time we can probably expect things like this to continue to happen, uh, unfortunately. Just so, we're, just so we're aware, not uh, naive of things that are happening in the world. There's another one that was found kind of humorous uh, for the, the picture, if nothing else. <laughs> the college fix. Uh, March 31st, 2023, Michigan State Inclusive Language Guide. Bunny, gift, and America are offensive, according to this language guide. The latest inclusive language guide offering comes from Michigan State University, where now even words like bunny, gift, and nickname are considered offensive. Uh, You just, who would have known? Nickname. Uh, The guide, courtesy of the school's brand studio, states that in alignment with strategic efforts around diversity, equity, and inclusion, Michigan State University values communications practices that support belonging for all Spartans. Uh, Under the guide's gender and sexuality section, officials recommend avoiding terms like female because that reduces women to their assumed biological anatomy. Uh, Sex change, shouldn't say that either. Gender transition is better. And nickname. In the age of gender fluidity and gender pronouns, using nickname could apply that a person's name is a substitute for their legal name. In the race and and ethnicity (laughs) section, terms to avoid include blacks, that's allegedly derogatory, Caucasian and racial minority, and at risk. Man. The later supposedly puts the onus of responsibility on the individual rather than structural factors so people aren't at risk. There must be some other substitute term. The section on disability deems all of the following terms ableist, crazy, insane, bonkers, nuts, psycho, demented, senile, senile, you can't say that, loony, lunatic, whole list of... uh, words that you're not allowed to say at Michigan State. One should also skip special when referencing a person who's intellectually intellectually underdeveloped. Uh, But the guide section on global identity that's arguably the biggest head-scratcher. Deep-thinking Michigan State DEI officials believe the following references to majority imagery should be bypassed. Mary, as in M-E-R-R-Y, shouldn't say that. Christmas trees, wreaths, holly, bells, gifts, reindeer, bunnies, eggs, and chicks 
and don't forget America too, as after all, Central and South Americans also technically are Americans. Uh, of course, one may wonder how avoiding common holiday terms most people in the country use is supporting belonging for all students. That's the whole goal, was to make this to make the world inclusive for all people, but you're not allowed to say Merry Christmas or talk about, you can't even talk about the Easter Bunny. So uh, MSU joins the ranks of higher ed institutions such as Adelphi University, uh, the University of Manchester, and the U.S. Air Force Academy, uh, where, where you're not allowed to use mother, father, mom, or dad at the Air Force Academy, supposedly. Uh, University of California, Irvine, you're not allowed to say kill two birds with one stone as it's too violent, among many others. So uh, you can see, and with all the other news that is uh, going on in the world today, I just kind of skipped finding things and went for the good news instead. Because that's, uh, that's the reason why we're here, after all. It's not to... We're not here to wallow in the, uh, the bad news that is out there, and I'm afraid that sometimes that's kind of uh, where this, this time leads to. So especially on Easter Sunday, I thought it would be a good idea to look at some good news. As Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, these are kinds of themes that uh, we will see uh, several times this morning, or, well, maybe not several times, but maybe one other time this morning. Uh, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that means that the Scriptures talk about the Messiah coming to the earth and dying for our sins. And that is certainly... Good news, and there, there's a reason for that, uh, that, that that happened. The reason uh, that that happened is so that people would be without excuse when Jesus Christ came to the world. It had already been recorded what he was going to do, how he was going to live, how he was going to die. And as we'll see this morning in the, in the message, how he was, it was told how he was even going to rise from the dead. And Jesus made this very clear on the road to Emmaus, if you'll remember, after he had risen from the dead, he met two apostles who were walking away from Jerusalem to Emmaus and uh, had a conversation with them, told them about some of the scriptures that uh, were that showed what was going to happen and why they ought to, to be encouraged instead of being downtrodden. And Luke 24, 25, he said to them, Jesus said to the apostles, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them, the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And this is, uh, as I mentioned before, what Paul references in 1 Corinthians 15, 
when he gives perhaps the most boiled down statement of what the gospel, the good news actually is in the beginning of the resurrection chapter on the Bible. Uh, and that's a whole nother, uh, a whole nother rabbit trail we won't go down. But 1 Corinthians 15, 1 says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And so the fact that Christ came into the world and did exactly what the Bible said he was going to do is certainly good news and you can have this salvation simply by believing. I guess I actually did have it on there. Sorry. <laughs> uh, John 3.16, verse we're all very familiar with, that gives us one single condition for how we can be saved. Believing. Not believing and making sure to go to church on Easter Sunday, especially you have to be there on Easter Sunday. Uh, no, it's just one single condition. And John makes that very clear. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Again, another, another portion of the Scriptures that makes very clear that salvation is not through our works. It's not by uh, attaining to some standard that uh, God has uh, in mind for us that is some kind of arbitrary list of of good deeds that we have to make sure we are uh, accomplishing in order to be right in his eyes. No, there is one single condition laid out for us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And there are there are you can go to the grammar of this sentence and show that this is not, that the gift is not faith. Uh, it's not possible, it, according to the grammar, for the gift to be faith. We've got conflicting uh, genders of, of the nouns in the sentence. Uh, and in language, at least, genders don't get to just change on their own. They are, they're set in stone by the way they are constructed. Huh. Interesting. Uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Salvation is the gift of God. He do, and he offers that gift to the world. That's what John 3.16 tells us. He loves the world so much that he died for every single person. 1 John 2.2, 2, the sins of every person have been covered. It's not a select group. He doesn't just give faith to those who he determined in eternity past would be saved. That is, that is not what the scriptures teach. He died for all people, and all people have a decision to make about Jesus Christ and what he did for them 2,000 years ago. And this gift is by grace because you don't have to do anything to get it. In fact, you have to stop doing things in order to get it, and simply trust in what has been done for you. 
Verse 9, it is not as a result of works so that no one may boast because make no mistake, as sinful people, we would boast about it. If it were according to our works, we would be making sure to tell everyone about the good works that we have been engaging in. Uh, and that's why the works are eliminated from the, from the process. It is all of Christ, all the work that Christ did for us and we simply trust in what he's done. And then we are privileged to serve him. The last part of this uh, good news message is that when he saves us, he doesn't just uh, expect us to sit on the sidelines then or to do nothing. He wants us to live for him and because that's the way this message gets perpetuated. Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for, for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And then, of course, Jesus' last words, uh, according to the Gospel of Matthew, or at least the last words of Christ recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, speak of the same concept that we are to, to serve Him after trusting and what he's done for us, he wants us to, to serve him. And so, uh, uh, Matthew 28, 18, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority is given, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, or a better translation of that would be, As you are going. In other words, as you live your life, Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So as we draw closer to the end of the age with each passing moment, it becomes more and more obvious that we are coming to the end of the age. We need to, to remember that Christ is with us as we are uh, living in this fallen world. So we will uh, conclude that section anyway with some good news. As we move in to the book of Proverbs, and we uh, learn here how in the book of Proverbs it is primarily all about how we can, uh, as we are going, serve the Lord. Just like he described to the disciples that he wanted them to do. As they were living their life, I want you to make disciples, to uh, be my disciples and my servants in this world. And there is no way for us to be his servants without acting wisely. And that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. So you can turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6. And this book is, uh, it, the hits just keep on coming with the book of Proverbs as it, as it is obviously so practical and so pertinent to our lives. Even though it was written literally 3,000 years ago, it still has uh, things for us that seem as if it was, it seems as if you could go to the Christian bookstore, if there even is still such a thing as a Christian bookstore, I'm not sure, I'm not sure this would make it onto the shelves, but it seems like uh, you could just go to the Christian bookstore 
and pull the Proverbs right off the shelf and read it as if it's written for the 21st century. It's uh, quite incredible when we uh, understand this, even though it was written by Solomon about 3,000 years ago. And he lays out here in chapter 6, in the first 15 verses anyway, three traps for us to avoid. And again, as has been the process that he's used or the method that he uses as if, is as if he's directing it towards his sons, towards his children, trying to teach them how to grow up and live for the Lord, essentially, how to be wise in this world. And so in these opening verses here, there are three traps for his sons to avoid, and turns out three traps for all of us to avoid. And the three traps that are mentioned are foolish financial pride, laziness, and being deceitful. And uh, we are all created differently. We all have different uh, impulses, different things that we're interested in, different things that we're not interested in. So some of you uh, may be thinking, well, you know, the last thing that someone would describe me as is lazy. Well, uh, and so this doesn't apply to me. Well, it actually does because we all, uh, none of us are perfect. And some of us may be very good at, uh, in some areas of our lives and not so great in other areas of our lives. So we need to uh, apply these things everywhere, myself included. Uh, so just remember that when I'm saying these things to you, I'm saying, to, saying them to myself more than I'm saying them to you, just so you, you know where I'm coming from. Uh, it begins with not having foolish financial pride, uh, a very easy trap for people to fall into. Proverbs 6.1, word of the Lord says, My son, if you have become surety for your neighbor, have given a pledge for a stranger, if you have been snared with the words of your mouth, have been caught with the words of your mouth, do this then, my son, and deliver yourself. Since you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go humble yourself and importune your neighbor. Give no sleep to your eyes nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. And so uh, this admonition here from Solomon to his sons uh, he's making mention of a pledge for a neighbor. And literally, uh, it would be the idea of what he's saying here is you've shaken hands with your neighbor. You've made a deal with your neighbor. We would, kind of, in the 21st century, this would kind of entail co-signing for a loan and this kind of, this kind of thing. And uh, the idea is, here that you are not co-signing for this loan to kind of show off your financial prowess uh, is, is the idea. Pretend to be something that you're not. You know, it's one thing for uh, Donald Trump to co-sign for a loan for a car for somebody, for a $10,000 car or something like that. You know, that wouldn't be much of a stretch. 
it's a whole nother thing for you to co-sign for a house for someone if you're unemployed <laughs> or something like that. That This is the idea. Don't pretend to be the financial big shot if you're not. If you don't have the, the means to be able to, to support this. And don't make promises that you can't keep, uh, essentially, is, is what he is uh, speaking of. Uh, and there, there is kind of this idea of a mayorism here, a figure of speech. Uh, if, uh, if you have become a surety for your neighbor, have given a pledge for a stranger, so on one, one end you have your neighbor, on the other end you have a stranger, and everybody in between is kind of the, the idea of the figure of speech. People you know, people you don't know, and everybody in between. And he uses this same figure of speech uh, later, when he says in verse 2, if you have been snared with the words of your mouth, have been caught with the words of your mouth. Snared and caught. If you've been snared, if you've been caught, if you've been trapped in a net, and everything, any kind of trap in between. If you've fallen into this, uh, you, you need to help yourself here. You need to get yourself out of this uh, trap that you have fallen into. And in the, uh, we would think of it as shaking hands. That there's, kind of, there's a reference in here, uh, given a pledge for a stranger. That, that is kind of what they would have done in the ancient Near East. They would give them their cloak or something to uh, make a pledge <coughs> that, they were, uh, that they would pay for this loan, uh, and we would say something like, you've shaken hands on it, or something something like that. Uh, and the concept that is, that is being another uh, application of this concept is kind of the idea of don't do business with your friends. Uh, I'm not sure if you've ever heard that. You can obviously, you can, this can cause problems is what Solomon is trying to uh, admonish his sons to not do. To not get yourself into situations where you're going to uh, have issues down the road. And so is this an admonition against co-signing for loans completely? I, I don't think so. I don't think it is. That's something, obviously, that you have to be careful with doing. Uh, the book of Proverbs, is not a, it's not a financial uh, business guide. Rather, it's a guide for life. So, you know, you still have some freedom to do that that for your children or something along those lines, but it's something obviously that you need to be very careful with because you can get yourself into trouble, especially with a stranger, someone that you don't even know. That's obviously something to avoid if you don't know this person at all because you have no idea whether or not you're going to be able to or whether or not that person is going to be able to repay the loan and now it's on you. And so if you find yourself in this situation, run to your neighbor. 
He says, verse 3, Do this then, my son, and deliver yourself. Since you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go, humble yourself, and importune your neighbor. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deal with the situation immediately. Uh, Ask for a deal. You have to humble yourself in order to to do this. And uh, this reminded me very clearly of the situation that we all as human beings find ourselves in. We have made a foolish deal uh, with God by sinning, sinning against him. That's a very foolish deal, a very uh, foolish problem or uh, foolishness has led us to the situation that we all find ourselves in as human beings. And the solution that God has for that problem is exactly the same solution that he has for this financial problem that Solomon is talking about here. Go immediately to the person who you are in trouble with. And that is your only hope. That's the only, uh, the only recourse that is described here is going to the person and asking them to help you out in this situation that you find yourself in. And that's uh, salvation to a T. We sin against God. That's very foolish of us to have done. And so the Word tells us, the Bible tells us that we need to immediately go to God and ask Him for forgiveness. Trust in what He has done for us. Trust in Christ. And the fact that He went to the cross and died for your sins there. Went to the grave, rose again on the third day, ascended back to heaven. Uh, Trust in that as the solution for your sin. Uh, And that takes humility. That's why works are excluded from the equation of salvation. It doesn't take any humility whatsoever to create a list of do's and don'ts and make sure that you get to church, whether you have 105 fever with COVID, uh, there's three feet of snow on the ground, and I'm going to church because I have to, because if I don't, I'm going to hell. (laughs) Well, that's that. And then you get there and you're very, very proud of yourself for having made it to church under such uh, grueling conditions or that you give all of your money to the church. It would be very easy to fall into a prideful situation, whatever, whatever it is. Pride is excluded from humbling yourself and going to Christ and essentially begging him to save you. You have no other recourse. There is nothing else that you can do other than humble yourself and go to him and ask him to save you according to his word. And lo and behold, God has made a pledge to us. Do we realize this? That he is that he is essentially done what he's telling us to not do, to not do here. He is not exactly, but He has made a pledge to us, and that is the Holy Spirit. Uh, When we trust in Him, He gives us His Holy Spirit as a promise of something else to come in the future. 
He promised that he would do this in the upper room before he went to the cross, the, uh, the last meal that he had with his disciples. John 16, 7, Jesus says, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. So Christ promised that he would give the Holy Spirit to us when we believe in him, one of the reasons why is because there's something else to come in the future for us as believers. This is kind of like the down payment on what is to come for us in the future. That's what Paul means when he says in Ephesians 1.13, In Him, in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, one single condition, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. He gives us the Holy Spirit today because in the future, he's going to raise us again as believers and we are going to spend uh, eternity with him. Uh, this pledge for the inheritance is pledge of our inheritance is speaking of this kingdom on the earth that we're learning about in the book of Revelation. He gives us this pledge because he's going to give us more in the future. And again, of course, more evidence that, that God is doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. We can't, we can't uh, live for eternity by ourselves. We can only do it by trusting in what God is going to do for us. So uh, don't have financial foolish pride. Don't make promises that you can't keep. Don't pretend to be something that you're not. It's only going to get you into trouble. If you find yourself in that situation, go to the person and ask for relief. The next trap is the trap of laziness. Proverbs 6, 6, go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise which having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. And again, we, we see an example from the animal world here. Uh, the... Verse 5, we didn't talk about that. Uh, Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. And then he goes again to the, the animal world, to the, to the uh, ants here, to show how not lazy they are in, in the way that they conduct their lives. Clearly there is a distinction in the author's eyes between mankind and the animals. We aren't just an animal uh, as as a lot of people try to pretend. Uh, humans are the pinnacle of creation, and obviously we're a special part of the uh, 
creation. And so the skeptics will say, oh, we're just another animal uh, as a reason to say, well, if we're just another animal, we don't really need God. Uh, sin doesn't really matter is basically what that comes down to. And of course, the fact of the matter is that we're very different from the animals and we do need God. But we can look to the animal kingdom for examples of how we ought to be uh, conducting ourselves because after all, even the animals know how to act uh, in many, many cases. Notice again that the ants don't need to be ruled over. They don't need to be told what to do and when to do it. Even the ants, that's kind of the, the poetic device that Solomon is using here. Even ants know how to make provision for themselves. Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. Uh, In other words, uh, you need to be an independent person. You need to be a self-starter. You need to uh, not have someone standing over you all the time, cracking the whip. That's probably a DEI uh, not allowed phrase, I'm sure. Uh, But you know what I mean. Uh, (laughs) You don't need a dictator in order to do the things that you know need to be done. And that's the beauty of America. In our, in our founding, anyway, in the American system. And, and I will never not say America and American and point out the exceptionalism of Americanism because that's just the facts. <laughs> and our nation was founded on this sort of principle. And that's why our government was originally uh, founded the way that it was. We don't have a dictator George Washington was offered the position of king and he turned it down because that's not what America is. We don't dictate to people how uh, they are to conduct their lives. We're given a framework, a structure to work within and have at it. (laughs) Here's what you can't do, essentially. Kind of like God in the Garden of Eden. Just don't do this. Do whatever else you want. Just don't do this. And unfortunately, we as human beings kind of tend to ruin things. And uh, that's the state where we find ourselves in 2023. But nevertheless, uh, as evidenced by the ants, hard work can give you the life that you want. Independence and and being having the opportunity to do that can give you the life that you want. And the, uh, the types of religion that people have oftentimes leads to the type of government that they institute over themselves. And that's why uh, America is, from its founding, a Christian nation. And that's evidence in the type of government that we have. Uh, we believe in freedom of thought, freedom of action within a set of guidelines, of course. However, when you look to other religions and the kind of nations that they have, Muslims, for example, don't do well with democratically elected Republican-style government. Uh, They do a whole lot better with dictators, someone telling them what to do. That's what 
that that's a result of their religious thinking. Paganism, very much the same. They don't do well with elected government. They have dictators that tell them what to do because they're in their minds, they're dependent upon the gods to provide for them. So they set up a person to be their God on the earth and tell them what to do. Biblical Christianity, on the other hand, is independent people working together to create a godly society. Ants have initiative. Notice that's a a big part of this laziness issue is that they have initiative. They're doing, accomplishing things before it becomes an issue. She, the ant here is gathering her food in the summertime, gathering her food in the harvest because there isn't going to be any food available for the ant in the wintertime. So they're doing it ahead of time. That is probably the best uh, advice that, uh, that my father gave to me. I'm not sure that I always uh, lived up to it or <laughs> followed it perfectly. But I remember uh, asking him specifically before I went to college, uh, and in ROTC and all of these kinds of things, what what do I need to do uh, to be successful? I'm not sure how the question was worded, but that was basically it. How do what do I need to do to be successful as an officer in the military? And he said, have initiative, know the situation, know what's going on, know what is going to happen in the future, and make provision for it now. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> That's great. That's right out of the Bible. That's exactly what the ants are doing here, exactly what Solomon is telling him, telling his sons that they need to do. Think ahead. Have initiative. Accomplish uh, things to keep problems from happening in the future. And that takes work. Uh, You can't sit around and and hope that, that that is going to take care of itself you have to take initiative and make it happen before it becomes a problem. And poverty is the result if you don't. Verse 11, your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. Uh, kind of two, two different ways that it can come. The, uh, the, the picture that is being painted there is... is kind of humorous. Uh, the vagabond, it'll come like a vagabond. I, I don't know how much time you probably don't living where we do today, uh, walking around in big cities. At any rate, I have the opportunity, of course, to travel around. And uh, most every city that you go to these days, there are a lot of what would be called vagabonds. And they're kind of a nuisance and they come at you out of nowhere uh, they're lurking around the corner. They're walking down the street. They will bother you. That's the picture of how your poverty is going to come. You'll just be lazily walking down the street, minding your own business, and boom, it's going to be right in your face. And they're not. Gonna, it's not going to leave you alone. That's essentially the idea of the vagabond. And of course, the armed robber is a description of the fact that it can be very dangerous, that this can do uh, real physical harm to you if you are lazy, if you are a person who doesn't have initiative and uh, take care of problems before they arise or make provision for problems that may arise 
in the future, like, I don't know, saving food in case the power goes out for, for three or four days or whatever. Uh, that's not hoarding or being selfish. That's making a provision for yourself. Uh, and of course, this applies to all kinds of things. We This example here, laziness, the example here is speaking of physical work, but people can be intellectually lazy and they can uh, get done uh, with work and come in and sit down in front of the TV and be intellectually lazy and allow that to to form your thinking and control your thinking. And so, you know, we could spend days talking about the various applications of of laziness, but it's not just in uh, getting your hands dirty outside. It can apply to a lot of areas of life. And finally, quickly, we'll go through don't be deceitful. Proverbs 6, 12 through 15 says, a worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth, who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers, who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil, who spreads strife. Therefore, his calamity will come suddenly. Instantly, he will be broken, and there will be no healing. Notice he uses uh, pretty strong language. Solomon obviously did not have a a DEI department when he was composing the book of Proverbs. A worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth. The word for uh, worthless there is very interesting. That is the term belial. You may be familiar with that Hebrew term. Paul used it in 2 Corinthians 6.15. He says, Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? As he's uh, admonishing the Corinthians to, to not be married to unbelievers, to not be engaged as business partners with unbelievers because he uses this term, here, what harmony has Christ with Belial, referencing Satan? And here, the Hebrew term is used and translated as worthless. A worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth. This idea of wicked, of course, is to, to bring trouble, iniquity, evil. This is what characterizes this person. And essentially... Uh, It is the idea throughout these verses is this idea of a person who is just causing trouble for uh, those whom they come in contact with and Solomon pulls no punches and and calls this person worthless. Uh, They are not contributing anything. In fact, they're taking away from uh, the group or the people that they're associated with. Don't be like this. Don't be this person who is uh, causing trouble for those around you. The, the hallmarks of a uh, this worthless person or this troublemaker is that they, they have a perverse mouth. They use deceptive words. That's uh, a hallmark of a worthless and wicked person is deceiving people. Jesus 
Again, he is another one. He definitely did not have a uh, vice president of DEI uh, traveling with him as he went around. Jesus's words, speaking to the Pharisees, John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So if you find yourself going around purposefully deceiving people, you're in league with the devil, according to Jesus's words. This is the idea of actively spreading lies, going around uh, to people and saying things that aren't true, that you uh, don't know to be true, or things that you know that aren't true and are spreading them anyway. These are the kinds of things that, that Satan himself engages in. So they use their mouth to deceive. Notice the, uh, the, the way that he states that. Uh, a worthless, verse 12, a worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth. Everywhere they are going, they are walking around and spreading deceit, deception. It is, it is part of who they are. Don't do that. Notice also verse 13, who winks with the eyes, who signals with his feet, who points with the fingers. Even, the, even their gestures, gestures are used for deceit. And again, the, the idea is complete deception from their eyes to their feet to their hands. Everything that they are doing and saying is deceptive. Uh, these are the attributes of a troublemaker. Uh, another, this is another merism, it's called, figure of speech from the eyes to the feet and the hands. Their whole body, their whole person is one of deceit and actively spreading lies. And they do this because they have with perversity of heart, it says in verse 14, who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil, who spreads strife. Uh, yeah. Clearly, this, these are the actions of people, uh, or these sorts of actions are things that people engage in that as believers, we, we can't be doing this. But they are, uh, trouble, according to this passage, is going to come to them. Verse 15, therefore, his calamity will come suddenly, instantly he will be broken, and there will be no healing. Uh, it says, it makes uh, mention of a sudden destruction. Their calamity will come suddenly. Uh, you know, it may seem like people are, are getting away with this in their life, but make no mistake, uh, at some point, the destruction is going to come suddenly. And according to this, they're going to be broken uh, and no healing. Uh, it may not even be in this life that, that the sudden destruction comes. But this mention of them instantly, he will be broken and there will be no healing. 
This is the idea that these are the actions of an unsaved person who is doing this. And it doesn't mean that if you are a Christian, you are a person, and just to be clear, a Christian is a person who has trusted in Christ. It doesn't matter who your parents are or where you go to church or you don't go to church. Those things don't make you a Christian. Trusting in Christ, believing in Christ and what he did for us on the cross and his death, burial, and resurrection is what makes us a Christian. And so when Solomon here says that instantly he will be broken and there will be no healing, uh, he's making reference to a general principle of life, for example, uh, that eventually they're going to get found out and things are going to work out in the end. That's the way that it it oftentimes does. Uh, not, Not every time. And spiritually speaking, however, what he's pointing out is that these are the actions of an unsaved person. This is how unsaved people act. And so, son, implied, uh, implied implication of that is that you are a believer. Uh, I know that you're a believer because you grew up in my house, uh, Solomon is saying, don't act like the unsaved. Don't do that. We are, we are Christians. We don't act like the unsaved. We can, uh, because we are free, autonomous people, Christians can do an awful lot of horrendous, horrible things. But that doesn't mean that we should. That doesn't mean that we are free to, uh, that, that there isn't going to be some kind of consequence for that. Uh, It also, just to be clear, doesn't mean that we have lost our salvation, that we never had our salvation, that uh, these kinds of things. Salvation is based on a single condition, trust in Christ. Then he wants us to live for him. He expects us to live in a certain way. That's why we have books like the book of Proverbs. That's why there are statements like there are in Galatians 5. Paul says, Galatians 5.16 But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Make no mistake, the desire of our flesh oftentimes is to be deceptive. We do things that are wrong, and we want to cover it up. So we try, so we're deceptive. Uh, That is a very clear indication that we're not walking by the Spirit. uh, However, if we do, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh, according to the Scriptures. For the, verse 17 of Galatians 5, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the actions of unbelieving people. As we've seen in Revelation uh, 20, specifically, that the kingdom kingdom is for believers, 
all people who have believed in Christ uh, leading up to that time, Old Testament believers, New Testament believers, church age believers like us, believers from the tribulation, we are all going to be in that kingdom period because we've trusted in God. So now we are identified with him and his righteousness. The, uh, those who have not believed are evident by their works. That's what they're known by. They're, they're known by their immorality, their impurity, their sensuality, their uh, drunkenness, carousing, things like these, their deceptive words, their deceptive life. That's what characterizes them because Christ has not taken away their sin and given him, given that person, his righteousness. That's the transaction. God made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He gives us his righteousness when we trust in him. That's how we are known. The unsaved are known by these kinds of actions. So don't do that. Don't live in that way. Uh, and we have three ways, three traps to avoid three things that should not characterize us as believers. Foolish financial pride, pride in general, uh, laziness, and deceitfulness. Thank God that he went to the cross and graciously offers us salvation in Christ so that we can be acceptable to him. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the book of Proverbs that is so uh, relevant to us and to our lives today in this world in which we're living. I just pray that, that you would go with us, help us to be wise people making decisions that are pleasing to you and honoring to you, and we will give you all of the credit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.